Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. And so we are in our second week of this series called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. It's based on this book by Pete Grigg, and a great book. I highly encourage you to pick it up. And uh, we've, we've kind of finished our first week, and now we're going to go on to our second week. And today we're going to talk about pausing. Everybody say pausing. Because we've got a little outline, like a four-step, kind of a four-step rhythm that is based on the Lord's Prayer. And if you have your message notes, actually, if you need message notes, the ushers are in the aisles. Just go ahead and raise your hand. And, uh, oh, did you already do it? Oh, you don't have message notes. Oh, you're out. Wow. Wonder what that means. More people in church. That's good. So, now they're giving them back. What a great church. What beautiful people. That's so nice. That's so sweet. Anyway, okay, that's enough of that. Now pay attention to me. There's a four, <laughs> we're kind of looking at the Lord's Prayer. It's a four-step rhythm that the Lord's Prayer is divided up in. And it's, here it is, it's pause, pause, because to start, we got to stop. To move forward, we must pause to pray. Rejoice is the second word, because you have a loving heavenly father who really, 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 one more really, likes you. He likes you. He's interested in you. Ask is the third word. Because one of the most powerful ways that you and I express our dependence, our humility, is by asking for help. Yield is the last part of this acronym, pray. And yield means we surrender, we we yield to the idea that God's ways are so much better than ours. What he wants for your life, so much better than what you could come up with. And so this acronym, these are the four sections in the Lord's Prayer. Pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And we're going to kind of walk through these over the next several weeks. And today, I want to look at what it means to pause. So let's pause right here and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness your goodness, for your words to us, for revelation that comes into our hearts when we open up the scriptures and we share them together. We pray for light to go into our hearts and and shine in every dark corner and everything in our lives. Lord, we want to lay it open before you and let you lead us, direct our steps, speak into our darkness. And as we pause, would you Reveal who you are. Give us the grace to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, 2,000 years ago, the disciples welcomed Jesus back from a time of prayer, a regular place of prayer, and they said something to him, one of the greatest petitions of all time. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11.1 
is where this passage is found. And his response to that simple, humble request was astonishingly like generous. Like he didn't make them feel small. He didn't say, well, you should know by now. Instead, he gave them the greatest prayer in world history. And these were men who would go on to have extraordinary prayer lives. Like think about all the things that they did. There, there, was, there was prayer that made buildings shake. There was, they would, they would like spring Peter from this security, a high security jail cell that he was held in and prayer got him out. Their very shadows and handkerchiefs actually healed people as a result of their prayers. They would receive the kinds of revelation that changes people's paradigm and they would speak it. And most remarkably of all, they would one day find the grace within themselves to pray for their torturers at the very point of death. Now, you got to remember that the disciples were to become mighty prayer warriors, but it wasn't automatic. It wasn't automatic. That's your first fill in the blank. If you have your message guides, prayer didn't get beamed down on them from heaven. It wasn't a guaranteed perk of the apostolic job. Prayer had to be learned the hard way. And their schooling began that particular day with a simple and vulnerable request. Lord, teach us to pray. And so he did. And now in the same way, we must also learn how to pray. And Jesus wants to teach us. So I have this, this, this journey that I will have been on with my family where from time to time I'll travel and I'll go speak or I'll go do something. And when I come back home after traveling and I'll walk in the door and I will be suddenly greeted with, Dad, did you bring me anything? Did you get us a present? Or I'll be greeted with, Dad, Owen keeps hitting me. Or I'll be greeted with, Ethan is being selfish. Now, I don't mind my kids asking me for stuff. I actually kind of like it. Like, I don't, I don't mind that. But I want to raise my kids to have manners. And when somebody comes from a long trip, you don't just launch into all the stuff that's wrong. You say, welcome home, Dad. Hey, I missed you. I love you. It's called manners. In this way, Jesus kind of models it for us in the Lord's Prayer. Before we launch into a long list of stuff that we've got, things that we need, daily bread, forgiveness, deliverance, before we do any of that, he tells us to pause and then to address God affectionately as our father. And he says, I want you to actually respect the name. Hallowed be thy name. He wants us to realize that Jesus is inviting us, right? God is, God is inviting us into a, something that's so personal and so profound. It's more than a pattern. It's a relationship. 
He's asking us to pause. You see, without this first step of pausing, prayer can easily become this frenetic extension of the way I normally live my life. Just going nuts all the time. Too much of my life is dis- distracted and driven and, and it, it was, it's without intention. I don't slow my pace and lift my eyes to meet his gaze. The reality is that true prayer is not so much something we say or something that we do, but something that we become. It's not transactional, it's relational. Which is why it begins here with an appropriate awareness of who he is, the one to whom we come. But that requires pausing. Look at this experience with the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 19, 11 through 13. It says, then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. Would you say that with me? A still small voice voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? It's a good question. I think God very often wants to ask it of you if you'll pause long enough to hear it. If we want to get better at hearing the one who speaks in a still small voice, then we must befriend silence. If we're to host the presence of the one who says, be still and know that I am God, then we have to be more present. We expect his voice to boom like thunder very often. Like we, we wanna hear this loud thing, but he mostly whispers. We expect him to step into our life with his big boots, but he tiptoes and hides in the crowd. We expect him to be strange, but as the Franciscan friar Richard Rohr describes, he comes to us disguised as our life. Best way to start praying, therefore, is actually to stop praying, to pause, to be still to put down your prayer list, surrender your own personal agenda, to stop talking at God long enough, right, for us to focus on the wonder of who he is, who he actually is. As Psalm 37 says, to be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Blaise Pascal said, he suggested that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. We have a tough time doing that, don't we? I wonder if you've ever heard of the parable of the deranged greyhound and the wild dog-eating chair. I'm going to share it with you. The tranquility of the picturesque cobbled high street was shattered one Sunday morning by the yelping of a dog and a strange metallic clattering. Suddenly, a crazed greyhound came scrabbling out around the corner with its whippet tail between its wild legs, weaving between shouting shoppers, 
Frantic with fear, the dog was being hotly pursued by one of those cheap chrome bistro chairs attached to the other end of the dog's leash. The chair seemed alive, like a dancing snake weaving and flailing, striking and biting at that terrified animal's rear. Perhaps the dog's owner was unaware of the pet's plight, innocently waiting for coffee at a nearby shop. A movement must have made that chair twitch, which had made the dog jump, which had made the chair leap, which had made the dog scamper, which had made the chair pounce, which had made the dog yelp, which had made shoppers shout, which had made the dog run even more frantically, pursued all the while by this terrifying piece of metal and these crowds of screaming, grabbing strangers. The faster the dog ran, the wilder the chair's pursuit became. The higher it bounced, the harder it pounced, the louder it banged and clanged and zinged on the sidewalk. Maybe the dog never stopped running. You know, we can all live our lives like that deranged greyhound. Running, running, driven, disoriented by our irrational fears, pursued by an entire pack, packs and packs of bloodthirsty bistro chairs. Too scared to simply stop. Why is it that so many people today find themselves drawn to the simplicity of marathon running or of long distance cycling or of fishing or, or yoga or practices of mindfulness or the cult of decluttering? Are you guys familiar with this cult? It's led by Marie Kondo. I love her. She feeds my soul. Why do we do this? We do this because life seems so overwhelming. We're trying to cope. Why do so many of us binge mindlessly on Netflix and Candy Crush and, and we're like the, the endless scrolling through the social media. We seem to be increasingly attracted to activities that put the world's relentless demands on hold forcing us to focus for a few moments on simpler things, like anything to get away from those pesky bistro chairs. So God speaks firmly into this cacophony. Ooh, that's a fun word to know and say. Say it with me, cacophony. It means really loud, ugly noises, bad music. A cacophony of our human activity. The master commands the creature to sit. Jesus rebukes the storm. He makes me lie down. The famous psalm says, Psalm 23. Of course, we find it incredibly difficult to obey this. But as we do, something happens. Our perspective is restored. Terrors turn back into bistro chairs. God understands our deep need for stillness because he's designed us to live humbly and seasonally and at peace. God himself rested. He rested as and established a Sabbath, inviting each one of us to press pause regularly saying, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46. Now, the Latin word for being still here in this verse, be still and know that I am God, is vacate or vacate, the very word used to describe 
vacating a place. Like, like vacating a place, or, or another way to say it would be taking a vacation. In other words, God is inviting us to take a holiday, to be leisurely and, and free, because this is the context in which his presence is really known. You could paraphrase, paraphrase this verse um, as God saying something like this, hey, why don't you take a vacation from being God all the time? I want you to let me be God instead for a change. Eugene Peterson, the brilliant author of the Message Bible, he said, life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not, but whether to worship or compete with him. One of the main differences between you and God, one of the main differences between me and God is God doesn't think he's you. <laughs> God never thinks he's me. <laughs> right? This is moments of stillness. Moments of stillness at the start of a prayer time are moments of surrender. Moments of surrender in which we stop competing with God. We relinquish our Messiah complexes. Our need for control. We resign from saving the planet. We, we stop expecting everyone and everything else to orbit around our preferences. We recenter our priorities on the Lord and acknowledge with a sigh of relief that he's in charge and we're not. He's in charge. We're not. Much to our surprise, the world like, keeps turning quite well without us, without our help. Shocking. As slowly, our, like our scattered thoughts, our mind that keeps racing, it starts to be more centered. Bistro chairs start settling down. The word selah, another fun word to know and say, appears 71 times in the Psalms. And it may have been like a technical note. Uh, to the people who were reciting the psalm, or maybe it was a, a musical idea, musicians, uh, as they were playing the psalm. Our best guess, biblical scholars, think it's an instruction to pause, an invitation to weigh the meaning of the words. Psalm 3, 1 through 8 says it this way, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Selah. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. Selah. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though ten th of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's a fun prayer. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Selah. I think it's a good practice whenever we take time to pray, whenever possible, and we start a time of prayer, I think it's really helpful or to, to stop or maybe sometimes while you're walking to be silent, to let silence be the thing that you go to first, that pausing without saying or doing anything at all. We always want to choose a serene environment for prayer, right? 
That's why there's apps for this kind of serene calmness and all kinds of things designed for this. We, but here's the truth. The truth is, it's equally possible to find stillness in a crowded train or bus or at a desk or a, in a cubicle or even hidden in that modern day internet surfing booth, the bathroom stall. Here's a, here's a practice I would suggest. I, you, can, you can make a practice of switching to airplane mode on your phone whenever you pause for prayer. And not just to prevent interruptions, which, of which there are many, right? But also to train your brain with an, act, with an action, with an activity to switch off your brain from the abstractions and distractions of life to become truly, fully present whenever and wherever you turn to God in prayer. So you're thinking as I'm talking about this, you're thinking to yourself, well, it's easy for you, Ross. You're, you're a pastor. You sit and read your Bible all day and drink coffee. And my life is different. My life is like manic and stressful. <laughs> I don't have time to pause. Listen, pausing before you pray may sound simple, barely worthy of its own entire message <laughs> in this series, but it is rarely easy. It is rarely easy. I don't know about you, but it doesn't actually matter what time of the day it is, day or night, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, my mind almost always rebels against any kind of stillness. The greyhound just keeps running. <laughs> I laid down on my bed last night late and couldn't get my mind to stop. It's a deal for all of us. Even when I pause to pray, the temptation to rush headlong into my prayer list is almost irresistible. A tyranny of demands overcome my soul. Distractions strike up in the unfamiliar silence. It's like a brass band parading around my head. <laughs> so I'm trying to stop. One Augustinian monk described it memorably as that inner chaos going on in our heads like some wild cocktail party of which we find ourselves the embarrassed host. It's a party going on in your head <laughs> and you can't stop it. I cannot emphasize as your pastor how important it is, how strongly you need to commit to this idea for your spiritual, mental, and physical well-being that we learn silence. We learn to silence the world's relentless chatter coming at us for a few minutes every day. Every day. To become still in the depths of your soul. You and I have to seek solitude and silence if, like our lives depended on it. Because in a way, they really do. Think about it. When you're stressed, you've all read about it on the internet, your adrenal glands release the hormone called cortisol, right? And which impairs your capacity for clear thinking and healthy decision-making. But as you sit quietly, something happens in our bodies. The cortisol subsides, things become clearer, the swirling things in our lives start to settle down, actually can start settling down quite quickly 
You become more aware of your own presence in place and time and, and of God's gentle and grace-filled presence that's within you and all around you. In such moments, the language becomes unnecessary and even inappropriate sometimes. Time stops, words fail. It's enough, it's enough just to be together like close friends in comfortable silence without needing to fill the space with our words. Sometimes I've found that I'll sit an entire prayer time in silence, simply enjoying God's presence without saying or doing anything. We did a lot of that this weekend at the all-night prayer meeting. It's like 100 and, 100 and th more than 130 people were there at 6 a.m., had gone through the whole night, and there was a, there was a thing, there was a practice, there was a, a it, was, it was hard to say no to this flesh, to this party up here. <laughs> and that's the reason to do things like that. Now, I used to worry that, you know, if you sit in silence for a whole prayer time, that it, it's not real prayer. <laughs> like, you're not really praying. That if it was somehow wasted time, I, I wrestled with that. And I've come to believe that these are the moments that really matter. I've come to believe that these are the times when the most beautiful communion can appear. As the psalmist says in Psalm 131, my heart is not proud, Lord. My, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Now quickly, here are four very practical ways to slow down and be still. Ways to quiet our souls. The first idea is Relax. Relax. Start off by sitting comfortable without doing anything for a few moments. Perhaps, perhaps your palms open on your lap and just sit there. Take note of the places in your body where you're holding tension. Deliberately go through each one. Start at the top of your head and go all the way down to your feet. That's what I do a lot of times when I just get my mind's raising. I just, I start, I start here and I just start relaxing my shoulders, everything. And I, I go all the way down. Your posture really matters. The Bible speaks about all kinds of postures before the Lord. Everything from kneeling and raising hands to lying down on the floor, uh, even dancing. And so there's a, there's a thing here about how to relax. Find a posture that's comfortable and meaning for you as, as meaningful as you approach the Lord. I think this is what Jesus meant in Matthew 11 when he said, are you tired, worn out? Burned out on religion, come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. In other words, relax. You don't need to work the way you work. Work the way I work. Le learn the unforced rhythms of grace, Jesus says. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Number two is, uh, is breathe. One is relax, two is breathe. As you relax, take deep, slow breaths. Like it's funny to say, here's a coaching tip for all of you. As you're going through your day, remember to breathe. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, right? 
But what happens when stress and anxiety begins to build up in our lives is we begin slow, instead of slow breaths, we begin these short, brief breaths that don't fill our bodies with oxygen. And then that creates a cycle because once, you, once your body is lacking oxygen and your anxiety and stress goes up and then you're, you're breathing just in these short bursts instead of long, slow breaths, the anxiety and stress just starts to burn up all of your productivity. Now listen, some people get nervous about this kind of thing. <laughs> they worry that breathing techniques might some way be the gateway to Eastern mysticism or you know, new age deception. Listen, listen, listen to me. Nothing could be further from the truth if your focus is Jesus. He knows how our bodies are wired. I don't know if you remember during our Overwhelm series, we had Alex Parnell, the mental health expert, and he coached us on how to breathe. Do you remember this? Deep breath, everybody with me? Hold it, two, three, four, exhale, two, three, four. And I want to do that like about 10 more times. How about you? Right? Like there's something so powerful about stopping to breathe. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, after he was filled with resurrection life, you know what he came to his disciples in John 20? And you know what he did for them? He's, in verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The breath, the Holy Spirit. No, there's, there's nothing more powerful than this idea. It's one of the primary biblical metaphors for the Holy Spirit. This breathing, this air, this wind. Look at the first story in the Bible and God breathed on them. God breathed on them. And there was a breathing into his nostrils the breath of life in Genesis 2-7. There's, there's nothing more universal or nothing more human than breathing deeply. God created you to do that. Number three, speak. As you sit quietly and breathe slowly, you may also find it helpful to like repeat a phrase, a prayer, a word in time with your breathing. You could say, Father in heaven, while you're breathing in. Hallowed be your name while you're breathing in. Some people adopt the famous Jesus prayer, which dates back to the great saints of the Egyptian desert in the fifth century. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Traditions even older than the desert fathers have advocated prayerful repetition of the Aramaic word Maranatha, which means come Lord, or the Lord has come. Francis of Assisi, centering prayer, he, he was equally simple. He said, my God and my all. In fact, his followers to this day repeat this phrase over and over again as part of their prayerful adoration. I often begin my prayer times with a simple, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Or sometimes I'll speak in tongues because that's also biblical. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. There's something about the connection between the mouth and the head and the heart and the body. There's something about getting your body all moving in the same direction. And sometimes that's what that prayer, that's what that breathing, that's what that relaxing does. I want to invite the band up because we're going to pause for a moment and practice. Some of your, your anxiety 
levels just went up, your stress went up because you think I'm not going to fill in the last blank. <laughs> number four, number four is repeat. Repeat. Listen, distractions are going to come. As soon as you say, I'm going to spend this time in prayer, everything's going to come. Everybody wants to get a hold of you. It, it's inevitable. Here's what you do. When do you do when that happens? Deal with whatever it is and then return to the process of relaxing, of breathing, of repeating your prayer phrase until stillness reemerges. Our problem is we get the text, we get the email, and then we get, oh, I got to deal with this right now. I can't, I can't wait. Really? Very few things can't wait. In 1621, John Donne, poet and dean of St. Paul's Cathedral, he confessed, I invite God and his angels thither. <laughs> Love that. And when they are there, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly, for the rattling of a coach, for the whining of a door. We're all guilty of this. No one, no one escapes the inevitable interruption to what you want to do. But Luke 11, I think Jesus said it so well. He said, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking because this practice is what it's all about. And the door will be open to you for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Maybe not as fast as you'd like it, but God has a way. And listen, occasionally, occasionally you'll go through this stuff and none of it works because you're more uh, kinetically inclined. In other words, you learn by moving. Teachers everywhere have learned that certain students learn by a bit more activity. And so you may need to go for a run and get your, get your heart rate up so it can come down and you can slow, right? It's not, it's not like this is the magic formula. Like, like sometimes you'll, you'll need to, to go for a walk or you'll need to do some things that will get your mind in the right place. But the thing that you have to figure out how to do is to pause because our culture is closing in on us. Everything is immediate. Everything is now. Everything is grabbing for your attention and you and I must resist it in order to have a genuine, authentic relationship with God. It's not just about reciting the prayer. It's about becoming fully present with Him because He is ready to share His presence with you. So we're going to pause right here. We're just going to take a few moments right here at the end of our service. And I want you just to put your stuff away, put everything down. And I want you to put aside what is next on your agenda today. I want you to do everything you can to bring whatever you, luggage and baggage you brought in today and place it in Jesus' hands and just leave it there for a few minutes. Don't try to work on it. I want you to open your heart and open your heart, soul and open your mind and, and, and be willing to just sit, to pause, to discover who he is here in these moments.